Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hey, welcome back. So, just so you're aware, I'm not going to spend the whole time today talking about the coronavirus outbreak. There's plenty to be said, but, you know, uh, maybe not the entire length of today's podcast. So, when you see that total length, uh, I also plan on talking about Boeing here, uh, at least for a couple minutes as well. But I do want to start off with this uh, a discussion about this coronavirus, which I touched base on yesterday, my, my podcast yesterday. And I want to talk about, I guess, my non-expert analysis of the situation, as well as as the, I guess, impact on the economy. Because, of course, that's where my mind oftentimes goes. So, quick recap. This is a novel virus, which is related to, or in the same family as the the SARS, which was the Severe, severe Acute Respiratory Syndrome uh, which there's a significant outbreak of in, in China and Asia back in like the early 2000s, as well as MERS, which is a Middle Eastern Respiratory Syndrome, a uh, very similar uh, uh, virus. They're, they're all coronaviruses. This one hasn't been given a name yet. It's just a coronavirus, which originated, as far as we know at least, from the city of Wuhan in China. And and thus far, it, it, it you know, it, it produces, you know, respiratory symptoms, pneumonia and whatnot, uh, has infected officially 400-some individuals with 17 confirmed deaths. And, and of course, these cases are largely located in China, Wuhan, city of Wuhan, as well as some other cities, uh, Beijing, Shanghai, Hong Kong, uh, some other ones. Uh, but there also have been some confirmed cases, largely from people that traveled to that city, or to China, in uh, uh, Japan, South Korea, uh, Thailand, potentially some confirmed cases in the future in, in the Philippines, uh, recently uh, a suspected case in St. Petersburg, as well as Seattle here in the United States. So pretty widespread. I mean, that's, I mean, that's oftentimes the nature of these viral illnesses. Uh, it, it spreads, you know, I guess, again, I'm not an epidemiologist, I'm not a pathologist, right, uh, but you know, early on, they were wondering: Is this going to be largely a a, um, a a pathogen that is not easily spread from person to person? You know, they're they're thinking the original source was sort of a, a, a an animal to a human, and then you know, is there potential? You know, can can it be spread from human to human? I think at this point, the on the answer is yes, and it's probably a lot easier than like very direct contact, given the the increase in cases that we've seen just in the past week, uh, and and the real interesting thing about this is that this is in China, as I said yesterday, a, a sprawling country. Um, and, and there is suspected by a lot of people that, that the government is, is either a not being truthful about the number of cases or B, uh, is just not cataloging them. It's not testing for them adequately, adequately. Uh, so, so of course, you know, the, the official number, at least at the time I'm recording this, and of course this is likely going to be much higher tomorrow is in the 400s, but with 17 deaths, but it could be in the thousands, right? With, with potentially dozens of, of deaths thus far. So 
I'll start off with this. You know, how does this impact you? You know, at this point in the game, you know, if this can be contained, which I'm not saying it will be, but but there's, you know, people get scared enough, it, it can definitely be contained uh, pretty significantly. And then, then for the average person that's listening to my podcast in Australia, the U.S., Canada, the U.K., that's where I get a bulk of my, my listenership from and, and viewership on YouTube, it, we're probably fine at this point. I mean, it, there's there's nothing wrong with preparing, but but probably no need for fear yet. However, I think it is a good idea to be prudent and, and stay up to date on, on these events because this has the potential to be a major worldwide event. It's, again, early in the game, hundreds, or you know, if, if you're going to be maybe less confident in government numbers, maybe thousands infected. But we're not talking probably tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands or millions at this point. And, and, and the death rate isn't like 50% as far as we know. It's, it's probably a, a few percent of, of individuals and it's likely probably going to be the same people that you know a good number of these deaths are probably going to be the same people that may be at risk of of death or serious complications from the flu or from some other type of community acquired pneumonia right uh so uh, elderly people young people immune compromised people i mean that's that, that's kind of the big three so I'm, I'm not trying to spread fear here however that is exactly what the media is ultimately going to turn this into a story to be fearful about especially in china you know the big difference between this and ebola never mind the fact that ebola is is spread quite differently uh, and and is actually much deadlier which which can work both for and against a pathogen meaning that you know if it kills its host too quickly it, it has a harder time spreading uh one of the big differences is that this is not in western africa or sub-saharan africa uh it's in china right? The, the second largest economy in the world, the largest country in the world by population. And, and that's not to say that, that Africa isn't a heavily populated continent or that Ebola in the past hasn't spread through heavily populated areas. It's just that in the whole scheme of things in terms of economy, China's obviously much, much larger. And, and to add to that, China's, you know, it's currently their lunar uh, new year, which, which involves, you know, like a week-long celebration where you have international individuals, uh, Chinese individuals traveling back to to their homeland, as well as a ton of individuals domestically you know, moving around the country. It's it's you know travel and whatnot, and so a that's going to obviously increase the odds of that being spread abroad and 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 within the country. But but also the the other risk with that is that it's it's going to to create quite a bit of fear uh, during this this time of of usually a pretty high demand for consumer goods as well as for travel, buses, planes mass transit, etc. People get afraid and they just decide not to make the trip, right? And and I, and I imagine that this outbreak is going to extend far beyond this lunar new year and, and that it's probably going to be much worse at, you know, a week from now. Unless, again, it gets contained, right? I'm just not seeing any signs of that at this point, regardless of what Donald Trump or Xi Jinping says, right? I think we're far from, from containing this at this point. So, uh, fear is probably going to be the name of the game. And, and, and I'm, again, I'm not trying to spread fear at all. And what I'm telling you is that for the vast majority of my viewers, you don't have to be afraid about this. You don't have to be overly concerned at this point in the game. There's nothing wrong with maybe making some prudent preparations or staying up to date on the news, but, but this very well could fizzle out, right? This could be a bit of a non-event, um, and never mind that obviously the many people have died, but but a relatively small blip in the whole scheme of things a year from now. 
it could also be the plague of 2020, right? It could go either direction at this point. And again, I'm not an epidemiologist, not a pathologist, but from my perspective and from my limited knowledge of, of these types of pathogens, uh, as well as, as what we saw with the SARS and the MERS outbreaks in the past, this is obviously a very easily spread virus. It is relatively deadly. And there's no reason to believe that it's not going to continue to spread until major precautions are taken by China and other cities or countries that, that have a large number of reported cases. So, again, I'm not going to throw out numbers out there because, again, I don't have some fancy model. I don't have some fancy um, prediction. Again, I'm not an expert on any of this to say where exactly this is heading tomorrow or a week or a month from now. This could fizzle out and this could absolutely blow up and be the biggest headline of 2020. Something to keep an eye on. As far as markets go, obviously this is bearish for, for stocks. Bearish for the Chinese economy, which is already struggling. For the Hong Kong economy, which is very much so struggling. Uh, coming off of a really terrible 2019 with all the protests and, and strife and whatnot. Uh, and so, you know, this is the last thing China and, and Hong Kong need right now. Uh, in many ways, the global economy, right? This is ultimately bearish for, for equities. This is bearish for for those types of assets because it could potentially cut into profits. It could potentially cut into uh, revenue, especially for things like airlines and, and other companies that have high exposure to things like tourism or just consumer consumption. I mean, uh, <laughs> a a major, uh, you know, if I can use the word plague, I, I know I've already used it, but if, you know, if we're talking about a major epidemic or pandemic or whatever the accurate term is, if this were to really blow up, is, is not conducive to a ton of discretionary consumer spending. Maybe on like masks and gloves and, and food and stuff, but, but probably not for like a, a new, you know, car or something along those lines, right? In the whole scheme of things, right? Even if it's just a few percentage points that it that it cuts the demand for those products that's you know again the last thing the chinese or the global or the u.s economy needs at this point in time so so it's obviously bearish until this resolves um but but i'm not convinced at this point that it is contained or that it will resolve and in fact i think there's there's a lot of reason to be skeptical and and to you know say that this is maybe actually worse than than what governments are are saying it is i mean imagine that right uh, but moving on, the other thing I did want to talk about was Boeing. Now, Boeing has been in the news for like a long time now. I don't know exactly how far back this this 737 MAX situation goes back to. Uh, but, of course, the, the you know to sum it up for those of you that have been living under a rock for the last you know, year or whatever, it's basically the 737 MAX is a new, uh, pretty efficient uh, model of the 737 that Boeing put out. Marked in is basically, I mean, just that, efficient, right? Uh, the 737 is kind of the... When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply the king in many ways i don't know what it competes with maybe the airbus a320 or something but but the king of these kind of short to medium length routes right not not usually 
uh, across the ocean or across a major continent, unless we're talking like Europe uh, or, or Australia or something. Uh, but it is, you know, heavily, heavily used. I'm sure many people that travel frequently have traveled on a 737 at some point if they're doing relatively medium to short distances. Anyways, two of them crashed. And, and lo and behold, after a ton of digging through the evidence, it's become more and more apparent that, hey, this is, uh, these, these were not flukes. This was not just a coincidence that two of them crashed in a relatively short time period, but rather there were some major design flaws that Boeing very well may have been uh, knowledgeable of, that they knew that, that this was a crappy airplane. And, and that scared a lot of people. And, and, uh, you know, at this point it's the 737 max is grounded. It's not fine. In fact, it's gotten so far as to that Boeing is, is shutting down production of the 737 max, you know, and this is, you know, economically speaking, a, a huge company here in the United States. And, and the, uh, you know, if this continues, I mean, it's, it's, it's going to legitimately cut into economic growth. We're talking about a few you know, basis points or whatever, uh, a few tens of basis points. I, I can't remember if his Cudlow or somebody else that was recently talking about that. And it's obviously not getting any better. I mean, Boeing tries to put a positive spin on this all, you know, like shutting down production, but I think they said initially no layoffs. I don't know if that's still the case that, you know, maybe by the middle of this year, maybe we'll have it back in the skies. But even once it's cleared by the FAA and other um, regulatory uh, agencies around the world, I'm not so sure that it's, really going to be a something that people want to fly on or that airlines will want to use. I mean, I think airlines are maybe smart enough or maybe just careless enough or whatever to say like, well, it's good enough for us. But if they know that passengers aren't going to like it, then they might just not use it. And, and even some have been wondering, you know, Boeing has another one. I think it's the 777X, uh, longer range, obviously larger, that may have some of these same design flaws. And maybe that's a story to follow in the future. But anyways, so there, there's this problem here with, with uh, obviously, Boeing and, and how that plays into the economy and whatnot. But the other thing that I found just fascinating. So recently, Boeing uh, basically asked for about $10 billion in, in a loan, right? And, and that adds to a pretty large amount of liabilities already, which I'll, I'll go over here in a second. In addition to a, a $9.5 billion line of credit in October, and this is an interesting point brought up by Wolf Richter. That's that's $19.5 billion in, in debt that Boeing has taken on in, in less than half a year, less than six months. $19.5 billion. Does anybody want to take a, just a wild guess that hasn't read this article or seen this headline yet? How much Boeing stock the company Boeing has bought back, stock buybacks, how much it has done since the middle of 2013 anybody want to take a guess if you were going to guess 19.5 billion dollars because i'm just cherry picking time or something like that no actually i think like double that and then some we're talking 43.4 billion dollars of its own stock that it bought back during that time period right whether it bought it with cash or took on debt which it largely did to fund that stock buyback regardless it was capital that went towards buyback its own stock and here it is asking for almost 20 billion dollars in debt to add to its balance sheet and, and keep in mind um this is in addition to already huge liabilities you know currently uh 136 billion dollars which is four billion dollars greater than its 
uh, assets, 132 billion, according to Wolf Richter here. And then you add to that the October credit line, 9.5 billion dollars, plus the 10 billion dollars here that they are, you know, working on securing. Now, does this mean Boeing's on the brink of bankruptcy? I mean, it could. Yeah. Now, Boeing is is a, a company that will forever, maybe not forever, but for the foreseeable future be be a, a company that is deemed too big to fail by the US government. Both for military reasons, right? They're they're a recipient of, of welfare from the military industrial complex. Uh but also just, you know, because of, you know, jobs and whatnot. What happens if Boeing gets shut down? I mean it'd be akin to, to GM you know going out of business. And and what would that mean for the US aerospace industry as all this is shifted to, you know, Airbus or, or some other foreign corporation, right? That That is, as far as these regulators are concerned, not something they're willing to deal with. So so fines will come, I'm sure, right? Obviously, these, these airplanes have already been grounded, but it's not going to get so bad. I mean, it, they're not so angry about it that they're willing to potentially put the company out of business, even if putting out of business is maybe exactly what Boeing deserves at this point, given their terrible financial picture going into this, this situation. Their incessant use of stock buybacks for like six years there or whatever and and now their their you know decision to to take on more debt to to fund these short-term problems it's it's you know spiraling out of control and and again i think it's gonna be a too big to fail but but it brings up an interesting situation because this headline that i'm talking here about the stock buybacks i suspect in the next recession is going to be a huge discussion do you remember you know back in during the during and after the financial crisis, the TARP bailouts and all of that, even the bailouts for for the uh, you know manufacturing companies like like GM and whatnot, uh, do you remember like just this huge public outcry? I remember watching on like the nightly news a lot of days, a lot of evenings. Uh, I was I was a kid back then. I was you know in my teens, I guess at the time. But uh, I remember watching because apparently that's what I did when I was you know during my teenage years. Is I'd watch news, or at least when I was like fourteen or fifteen. But but I would. Uh, I would see them, you know, ABC, NBC, whatever, uh, really just rant, uh, go off about how, and it wasn't a rant, but but inform the public, whatever, about how these these huge banks that were getting these huge bailouts and the tens or hundreds of billions of dollars, you know, certainly hundreds of billions of dollars total, and these other companies, just how much they'd been paying their their executives, right? And the same storyline was, you know, remember remember when we had really high oil prices and. And look what Exxon or Chevron or BP or whatever is paying their executives, right? This huge public outcry. And and they, as far as I'm concerned, companies can pay their executives whatever they want, right? I'm not going to, right, you guys know me. I'm not going to rant against that. However, when we're talking about public welfare going out for these companies and the billions or tens of billions of dollars, and then they're going to go and pay these executives, executives that that got them into this problem, you know, these massive salaries, then it obviously becomes problematic. And and I think the same is true about these stock buybacks. It's no secret that stock, stock buybacks are largely done to enrich shareholders, which oftentimes are, are things like executives and employees of the company, as well as just, you know, other general shareholders. They drive up the price. $43.4 billion of stock buybacks for Boeing. Uh, that's going to drive up the price of the stock. I mean, you don't take a guess what the current market cap is for Boeing. I'm, I'm looking it up right now, so sorry for the suspense. 174 
billion dollars. Now that's obviously down from where it was uh, quite a while ago. You know, currently the stock price is just shy, just over three hundred dollars a share. You know, in the past it's been over four hundred dollars a share, so over two hundred billion dollars of, of market cap. But hey, they bought back, you know, over forty billion dollars of of their own stock, right, to drive the price up, and it enriched enriched shareholders. But guess what? It it deteriorated, lead to led to a major deterioration of, of their balance sheet. And and they're paying for it now. They're taking out debt literally after after years of taking out debt to buy back their own stock. Now they're desperate for debt to just stay in business, right? And so believe me when I say, you know, if Boeing gets a handout from the government, if they're bailed out, and and again in this next recession, they will not be the only, right? There'll be plenty of other banks or other companies that will likely get bailed out. Believe me that there will be an outcry, and rightfully so. Why? Are we giving these companies a bailout that for years took on massive amounts of debt or or just burned piles of cash just to buy back their own shares? It's a justifiable outrage, and it's coming, right? Uh, don't at all be surprised. I'm sure Warren and, and Sanders maybe already are, are part of uh, this part of their platform. I forget. I think at least one candidate has talked about it, but banning stock buybacks. Now, I'm not a fan of that, making it a law. However... I would be totally a fan of not bailing out companies, period, but certainly ones that have bought back huge amounts of their stock and are now in, now in, in you know, surprise, surprise, financial difficulty. So that's my rant for the day. Take care. I hope none of you guys get sick, especially with this coronavirus. No, seriously, most of us will be fine, most likely. But but again, you know, keep an eye on it. As always, thank you from the bottom of my heart for tuning in to today's podcast, and God bless.